I'm going to be back in John chapter 10, spend a few minutes on a very, very brief passage. I want to share something I thought was interesting. Uh, McDonald's looking for a church so that they could put a McDonald's inside a church. It seems so ridiculous because the point that I was trying to make is in parables of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus makes it very clear that there's one seed in many types of soil. But in modern marketing of Christianity, we keep trying to remake the seed, to make it more acceptable so that it will overcome resistance and make some kind of an impact in life. So we become salesmen, and because of that, we have to become very creative in how we package the seed, ignoring the fact that God has already told us that there's many types of soil. Well, I found another one of those examples today of repackaging the seed. Some of you might have seen this. This was on CNN and several other news agencies today. The name of the article was Wings and Prayer. Alabama Church sets up shop in a sports bar. There may be some unorthodox questions raised at the next meeting of the River Chase United Methodist Church, like, do you want fries with that? The Alabama House of Worship is hoping to attract some new blood by setting up shop in an unconventional location, the Buffalo Wild Wings franchise in Howell. We want to reach a different demographic of people than we would normally be able to reach, said the pastor. Something with a more casual, laid-back atmosphere. The pastor said the meetings, which began this Sunday morning, will start as Bible study with prayers, but could eventually look more like a worship service of some type. After the holy work is dispensed with, the crowd can turn its attention to Hail Mary passes. People will be invited to stay for lunch and maybe watch the football. He said River Chase isn't the first to take services to a watering hole, A roadside bar on the Alabama-Florida border draws hundreds every week. So we're repackaging the seed. Very interesting. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 37. This is the end of the message that I ended with last week. Two verses uh, from the end of the last one. This is Jesus speaking. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. Just stop there for just a second. Every work that Jesus performed, everything that he is pointing to in that one verse, every ounce of focus that he wants to bring. So you don't want to believe my words that I am the son of God. He has just said this in verse 36. If you don't want to believe out of my words that I'm the son of God, then what I would encourage you to do is to look at the entire body of work that has been done over the last few months or the last few years. And I want you to draw a conclusion based on those works. One of the things that we realize is that every work that Jesus would have listed in this statement would have been a supernatural work. Every single one of them. Why? How can we move everything into that category? Because in John chapter 5 verse 19, he says that as articulate as he could possibly say it, without the Father, I can do nothing. Every work spoken of here was a release by the Heavenly Father, and God only does supernatural things. Now, we we can say, well, that doesn't make sense. We know that he gives cups of water. That doesn't seem supernatural. The water is not supernatural. The healing is. It's not the fact that the, the, the action of him feeding somebody was miraculous in itself. The outcome was that he was doing it out of nothing. That's the supernatural reality. We looked at this passage last week and said, okay, he's talking about himself, but since I was in elementary and they taught me the simple principle that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If God does this and he does it in Jesus, 
and Jesus says, I'm going so that I can come take up residence in you, then God will also do those very same things in me, and the evidence of my life should be supernatural. You should not be able to describe any of us as Christians in natural terms. Everything that we do should have a supernatural description somehow around it. Simple acts of kindness, joy, peace, whatever it is, we understand that it comes from a wellspring that is bigger than ourself. It comes from a fountain that has a definition to it that is not us. So we ought to be able to say, just like Jesus, you may not believe that I'm a Christian. You may not like that word. You may not, by my voice, believe anything. But what I'd ask you to do, and every Christian should be here, I don't care how broken things are, I don't care what your relationships are, if you have a relationship with God, this is possible for us to say exactly what Jesus said in that moment. If I do not the works of my Father, don't believe me. Why does the world not believe many of us? Because we do not the works of our Father, because they see us and see nothing different. There's nothing supernatural about us. There's no supernatural testimony. There's no supernatural evidence of the fact that we can say, I've been a, I've been a Christian for 40 years, I don't have a resume that reads like a supernatural reality that Jesus says, that's how people will know us. They're going to know us. Not because we try to be good, because we don't go to places where bad people go, because we don't use language like other people use. That's not what will draw attention to the reality of God. If that had just been Jesus, if Jesus didn't cuss, if Jesus didn't smoke, you know, didn't do all those kind of things, then how big an impact would his life have ever made? If that was a sum total of his Christian witness. No one would ever notice. Why were they noticing? He said, I want you to look at these things. I want you to come to the reality that we did feed 5,000 people. I want you to look at the reality that the dead have been raised. I want you to look at the reality of people being healed, of people being, their sight being restored. I want you to see the, the recovery of the woman at the well and the recognition of a new life and a new testimony that's springing out of her forgiveness. I want you to see I want you to examine, and if you can find any explanation for those things other than God, don't believe me. Next verse. If I do those works, though you believe not me, believe the works. Just trust that, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. That ought to be a heart cry. I'm in a place in my Christian life where I I don't want ordinary anymore. I don't have any desire to go through the motions anymore. I lived there a long time. Over the last few weeks, I deal with a lot of people whose lives are filled with drama. And strangely, it's almost like they have to have it. And what I realize is when I draw this circle around their life, the reason that they have to have the drama is because that's the circle that encompasses their story never moves. When you watch people who seem to have life beyond it, who don't seem to be entangled in it, one of the things that you're going to realize is that their life, this circle that has encompassed their life, is always moving. Because there's always hopes and dreams outside of that circle. There's always plans. There's always vision. There's expectations beyond my current life. And so my passion My interest and my energy is pulled to those things that I have not yet experienced. Things that are still beyond me. Things in in the areas where I'm still growing. Experiences that I haven't yet had. I want to tell you, church becomes dramatic when it sits here in this circle and you draw a circle around the church 
and there's nothing but drama in it because there's no movement in it, because there's no motion in, in it. I spoke to you earlier this year about why prophecy, what damage has been done in church by the removal of the teaching of a prophetic word. What is prophecy? It's what allows me to realize that there's a word of God that has been spoken in truth about me individually, about us collectively as a church, that allows me to be able to focus energy, time, and passion on what God has set before me. Because if I don't have that, all I can do is try to reinvent church over and over and over, and we make older people mad, younger people leave. All these things happen because we don't know what to do in recreating and reinventing the circle over and over and over. It has to move. What do you think happens if there's no movement in the church? Same message over and over and over. Churches are one of the most notorious places for not moving. We somehow strangely believe if I don't move, if I don't go anywhere, it'll be more peaceful. No, that's drama. You want to stop the drama in the church. You get the energy and life focused again on the things that are set before us that God has said, this is your future. This is the reality. I don't know how we're going to be the ne- part of the next great move of God. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But I spend prayer time, energy time, passion time in pursuit of that vision that God has so brought so clearly to this church. Jesus is telling us, he speaks in this. There should be an evidence every day of the reality of God is moving you in a supernatural move. Our move as a church ought to be building on a testimony of this supernatural reality, of testimonies, of lives changed. And we build and we move and we look back and now there's this, this supernatural evidence this history, it won't draw everyone, but I guarantee you for the ones who want to engage in it, the ones who want to wade off into it, it's life-changing. Life will never be the same if you'll ever step off into the reality of what God's about to do. Therefore, because of what he just said, the Father is in me and I'm in him, therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. This one, when I was studying, it hit me strangely kind of a a random picture of truthfully what this means. Jesus has just said something to them that they didn't like. They came expecting that Jesus was trying to make himself God, and he just admitted it. Here's this picture that now that he's given them what they were wanting, they feel justified in what they're fixing to try to do. So they tried to take him. What were they going to do with him if they got their hands on him? What was their number one desire in getting their hands on him? They had one desire, and that was to get him to conform to what they believed to be true. They didn't care whether it was just shutting him up or hurting him or killing him. They didn't care because their number one desire was to stop a voice that was contrary to what they believed to be true. So they sought to take hold of him. Why do we try to take hold of God? I'm especially talking about in a religious way. Why can't we let God be free? Why can't we let God be everything? Why can't we let him be outside of the box of our mind and the box of our heart? Because we have tried and have been very successful, we think, at seizing him and making him conform to us. We think we did it. We're very convinced in most churches that what we believe and how we do it is exactly what God has taught in this book, and we strangely believe it. We think we have got him. And he's Baptist, and preferably First Baptist. I think he uses a King James Bible. Matter of fact, I think I have the one he carried in my office. Red letter, absolutely. I mean, how else would he know he spoke it? 
deranges the conversation is this is how we feel like we have taken control of him. What does it say here? What, what did he do? It says they sought to take a hold of him and he escaped out of their hand. I will promise you this, but every person, every congregation that tries to take hold of him to make him conform to my thought, he has escaped them. He is not there. We are no more successful at it than they were here. God is saying, I will enter into no one's box. You can take a rut and you can put two ends in it and you can put pews in it and call it a church, but what is it still? You can decorate it very nice, but it's a rut. Sad part about this, at least these people knew something because they, they were trying to get a hold of him physically and they realized at the end of that effort they didn't have him. When you try to reach hold and get him and pull him in to, in to make him conform to us, to look like us, to sound like us, to believe like us, to make in any way make him conform, he will leave. And sadly, we don't know he left because we're still teaching what we believe, thinking strength, and he's perfectly in agreement with what I just did. But the heart is that I don't want to do anything. I don't want to set anything in motion because if he didn't speak it, there's no provision to attach to it. And we're going to do it on our own. And it's going to feel like we're doing it on our own. It's going to require time and attention that because there's no provision attached to it. So we just have no desire to take a mission trip, to sponsor, to host, to do anything if there's no clear vision behind it. To go to Africa and for Rhonda to have the vision of the red kites. You know, the reason that was a supernatural moment was that had already been, by, by vision and revelation, that had already been revealed in obedience, it was, we, they moved in obedience to what they saw and saw the supernatural reality of what God does. That's why here that there's no desire to do anything. If somebody can't say with some degree of clarity and understanding that we're doing this by revelation, we don't have the privilege of seizing him and making him conform. That is the nature of religion, is to take God, have him conform to those things that I already believe I don't want him to challenge those things, I believe. He can stretch me a little, but I want it to still fit. I don't mind telling you, it's hard for me to come to the reality after 50-plus years that there is no prayer of salvation. There is no sinner's prayer in the Scripture. That's hard to wrestle down to the ground. It's hard to, to let that ever soak in deep enough to realize now that if I actually look through the Scriptures and say, where is there one time that Jesus said the way that you're saved, or the disciples said the way that you're saved is by offering a prayer to God. It's not there. So what have we done all these years in saying, if you want to come to Jesus, then just repeat this prayer after me. Who have we left in the wake of that, believing they're saved, but wondering, why don't I have any power? Why is there no evidence of God in my life? Why do I still feel as alone? Why do I still feel the weight of my sin? It's because that is not a teaching within the New Testament church. To hear pastors and the ones I listen to on TV, to hear this statement repeatedly, what are we supposed to do for Christ? This is what we do for Christ. Over and over, what do we do for Christ? It's not scripturally true. That's not easy to come to that reality. That, that's not easy to, to remove that thought from my head that I believed for so long that created an intense desire to perform so that God would be pleased with me based on my performance to set that aside and come to the reality that what God is saying is I want you to live in me. In me there is life. In me there's truth. In him we live and breathe and have our being. To be able to set that aside so that God can teach me the truth. 
Religion doesn't allow that. Religion is very much about creating this compact story. So they sought and they couldn't hold him. Verse 40. He went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him. So many came back to him and said, John did no miracle, but all the things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. I love the phrase, John did no miracles. John didn't raise anyone from the dead. We didn't see healing at his hands. We didn't see anything except for the fact that John lived to be exactly who John was given to be, the forerunner for Jesus. I can do no miracle. That goes away immediately. And if you expect me to be able to do anything on your behalf that looks anything strangely miraculous, then I must have had smoke and mirrors because it had to be a magic trick because I have no ability within myself to do a miracle. But I hope when my life is examined... And when the story is told, that someone would say, just as they did with John the Baptist, I wish they would say about Randy did no miracles, but all the things that Randy said about Jesus came true. I love that testimony. I would love that witness. I don't want anybody to say, well, he preached this many years. I want them to say about me. In and of himself, he did nothing. There was nothing he could do. And he knew it. I I want to know. I can't do it. But I'd like for them to be able to, to look and say, but you know something? What he said about who Jesus is, about what Jesus would do, about what the Holy Spirit does within us, it's all true. It all came true. Every bit of it was true. What an amazing testimony for John. What an amazing witness that what he said about Jesus, which meant what? Think about that for just a second. If what he said all came true, there's a hidden part in this. Where did he get what to say? Holy Spirit. If everything he was going to say was going to come true, he had to miraculously receive it by the Holy Spirit into his spirit where he could hear it, see it, and express it, and with confidence and faith say, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound kind of strange, because I'm going to start talking about somebody who, like nobody's ever met. I'm going to start revealing things about someone as a forerunner here that nobody has ever even imagined could possibly be true. And John's receiving this stuff, and by faith he's saying it. He knows where he got it. So many times we don't want to repeat, especially the odd stuff, because we don't have a lot of confidence as how did that get in my head. If I can mechanically see God unzipping my head, sticking words in there, I would have no problem expressing them. I would know how they got in my head. How do I know to speak what God gives me to speak? How do we, any of us know? It's because we begin to develop a certainty that that was God's voice. And I didn't miss it. Yeah, Jay. I just wanted to share about speaking about these things and how do we know it's the Lord. I don't know how, but as we sang holy this evening, those words, holy, holy, holy. It was like before my eyes, but in my mind, before me opened up the throne room of heaven. And there were the elders casting down their crowns. There were the angels gathered around, crying out, holy. There was the sound of his throne singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And I knew instantly, because I never thought that before, never made those associations in singing that song, that it was something specifically for us in that moment, that he wanted us to know that we joined, as we sang those words, our voices joined 
with those voices. Knowing as the things appear out of nowhere and they strike your heart, not just here, but they hit you in your heart. It's him. It's his voice. Yeah. Learning to hear, that's a valuable conversation because most have never been taught or even have the expectation that God speaks and especially how to hear him when he does speak. But here's the story. John did no miracles. Jesus came back to that same place and many came to him there realizing that in him was fulfilled the truth that John had spoken. Now, if I was going to turn this into a simple mathematical equation, it would be fairly easy to do. Because the equal sign said, after that, the equal sign was this, and many believed on him there. So what was it that created that result? What goes before the equal sign to create this reality that many believed on him there. They saw the miracles, they heard the testimony, and they believed. You take away either part of that, you get something artificial. That's why we stop and take time to do it, so that because when you stand and say, this is the supernatural reality of God in my life today, or my life this week, and we share that, someone who was sitting here who had no hope, but may have the same situation, suddenly they have hope because they heard somebody say, this is my story, and this is what God did, and hope rises in them. We share those testimonies, and we share the reality of the supernatural things that God does, simply so that we create in that testimony the fact that they've heard a word, they see the miracle, and they believe. They see changed lives. They see transformed, healed people, and know there's no, there's no one who could do that outside of God. Whatever a child will do in response to a loving and kind parent, whatever a child will do with no care, with no, no thought, as a natural response to a loving parent or friend, we should be able and free to do in our relationship with the Father. So what will a child do? Dance and laugh and have no inhibition because they understand something that because of the goodness in that person's heart, I'm free. I'm not living hungry. I'm not living sad. I'm not living broken. Because of the goodness in that, that person's heart, that father or mother, I'm free. And until somebody tells them different, they're going to believe it. I had someone in church about three weeks ago that had never been here before. And I was talking to him after, and he said, you know what I like the best? I like the kids dancing. The thing that we worried would be the most disruptive, they said they liked it the best. I was pleased to hear that answer. I love the fact that if I can start with them being that free, then they can be trained in, to, in how to use that freedom. But to get them that free is hard. To ever get them in their heart, to get us to be that kind of free. We can train them after that. Let them start with freedom. We'll, we'll do our best after that. If you're pouring water out of a pitcher, there's several ways to change that water. One is you could stick something in it so that the, it starts splashing and making a mess. When you take the freedom that these kids have, it's like pouring that water out of a pitcher. And most of the time, our answer is to stick something in it. And in their heart, it creates a mess. What we have to learn to do is while it's being poured, put the red food coloring in it so that that water is transformed, but you never disrupt the flow. We don't know anything to do but disrupt the flow. We have to ask God a new question. How do I change the flow? How do I drastically alter it, but not disrupt it. That's a different picture. So it's like when I watch him dance, it's okay, Lord, okay, Lord how do I not stop it? You know, what do we do 
to change the picture of this energy into praise. If I stop it, I won't ever get started again. That's the hard part. If you stop it, it won't go again. So it's like we need to pray that God would send somebody that would teach, teach them how to dance, how to actually do it, so that that natural expression becomes true expression. I know this is a poor example, but I love the story of Bill Gates for trying to understand his genius. And one of the things he told many years ago, which I heard him sharing, was that he remembered when he was little that he spilled a gallon of milk. What would happen for most parents if a kid spilled a gallon of milk? He'd be in trouble. His mother took his diaper off and set him in it and let him play. So what does that do to your mind as you start managing risk and thinking about adventure? simple outcome would be if he was punished for it, then it creates a boundary, it creates a limit. If she had the mindset of clarity to just set him in it and let him play, then what he just did, that mistake he just made, becomes his next adventure. That's a different mindset. That'll do something different in your head. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could be here together and just have this conversation, that you love us enough to let us adventure into your word and to just find and be amazed by the marvelous things that are there. And just thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your pictures the instructions that you give through your word. And I just pray, Lord, that we too, by this testimony that you give, recognizing that we cannot do a miracle, but we can tell a story through our life, through our witness, that would just bear witness of the fact that everything you've ever said about yourself, about your Father, about the Holy Spirit, is absolutely true. And that many would be changed, many would believe, because they saw the supernatural evidence, they heard the truth, and they believed. We just speak it over this body and over this community, over our area, in Jesus' name. Amen.